Og lige nu her på DR1 sidder Tine Goethe klar til at præsentere TV-avisen. Hier ist das erste deutsche Fernsehen mit der Tagesschau. Hello everybody and welcome to Planet Mondes. My name is Ole Krosko. In this show we turn our gaze towards Russia and try to answer one simple question. Why does Russia love Putin so much? Putin's approval rating is currently lying at 88%. 88%? That means Putin is more popular than Mother Teresa and only slightly less popular than Jesus, who had an approval rating of 90% in a recent American poll. How can this be when the Western media portray Putin as a power-hungry, bear-wrestling dictator whose actions in Crimea have drawn comparisons to Hitler's land grabs in Austria and Czechoslovakia? We're trying to answer this question from a variety of angles. First, we take a look at the political and economic situation in Russia. Then we try to understand the way the Russian media works. And finally, in-house funny man Jan Willems provides us with his very own perspective. And in the studio today, I have the absolute joy of being accompanied by two young Russian students of journalism, Jana Sakhvatova and Vavara Marosova. Welcome to Planet Mundus. So, would you mind telling uh, us just a little bit about yourself and your background, if we start with you, Jana? Yeah, hello, my name is Jana. Um, I'm 22 years old and currently I study masters in journalism in Denmark. But I was born in Samara, which is in the European part of Russia, but I spent my uh, five my years of my bachelor in St. Petersburg, Russia. And basically I have some experience in journalism working uh, at a TV station and radio station as well back in Russia and covering some uh, news from the Olympic um, Games in Sochi 2014. And how about you, Vavra? Hi, everyone. My name is Varvara. I come from St. Petersburg, Russia, where I was um, teaching at the State University of St. Petersburg as a teaching assistant in English and translation. So basically, I have my background in linguistics and cultural studies. But apart from working as a teacher at the university, I was doing some freelance journalism, mostly in culture and arts, uh, covering various exhibitions and cultural events in the city. So can you explain to me, like, why is it that uh, Vladimir Putin is so popular in Russia? Well, I can say that probably now we have um, a huge patriotic feelings uh, among the Russian population, maybe because of the media, because I do believe that we have a huge propaganda, especially on Russian uh, television, uh, which is like nationally owned, state owned. Yeah, probably because of that. And I think that uh, Russian, Russian people, they have to have a leader. And Putin is a strong man with this like leadership skills, of course. And uh, I think that's why that's the reason. Mm, yeah, I would agree with Yana and say that Russia is a country which is yet is not able to exist with no leader at power. And yeah, and I will also agree with the statement that we have a very strong propaganda on the national TV and media. So, which zombify, I would say, the population. Zombify. Zombify, yeah. This when, is my word. But when you say no leader, like, you mean another kind of leader than I, than, than me as a Dane see when I see a leader, right? Of course. So can you define what, like, what is a strong leader? What is a good leader? 
I would say the one who can protect the state's interests. And we are really conservative country. Yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad, but we are. And people really believe that we have to support our own interest in the international arena, for example. And Putin is though, like this kind of person. Um, yeah, he's really charismatic, I would say. Uh, he's kind of good looking man. And um, he's really strong in terms of like taking uh, strong, like really sometimes tough political decisions because it's really controversial to me. Yeah, I think that's the reason. Putin is a is a is a is a man who is not able to. Um, well, the recent the recent uh, the recent events prove that well he is not able to compromise when it comes to very tough political decisions, and I cannot judge whether it's good or bad, because sometimes a compromise is a very good decision, but sometimes it's not, and I think that well, he definitely had to do what he he has done. So do you do you personally are you also in the among the 88% who approve of Putin's actions? I would say I'm I'm not there, but I cannot say that I strongly disapprove him. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle because uh, for me, I personally cannot see any other alternative on our political arena, among our oppositional li- leaders, for example. Um, so I think it's like nowadays he's the only one who can actually lead the country, and he does. Mm, yeah, but it's also a very, very, um, a very big problem for Russia that we cannot be led, but anyone by anyone else except for Mr. Putin. Uh, and um, I would say that he's partially to blame for that because we 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 haven't we 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 have no anyone else to uh, to pick the leadership up to lead the country towards some very drastic changes. So we 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 kind of stuck, I would say. So and m- my position would be the disapproving one. Mm. But do Russians even like? What do you think the Russian people want? Do you, do we even want a Western-style democracy with the? Oh uh, well, it's a hard topic for me because I'm originally not from Saint Petersburg, for example. Uh, I would say in Saint Petersburg, yeah, we do. Yeah, and especially young generation, of course. But from my point of view, in the like more not that central part of Russia. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's not like that. People would support Putin, like I would say, more and more, even in terms of hard economic situation nowadays in Russia. Um, yeah, we, I think we still have to have this leader. We 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 have, we really need it. We 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 need a person to follow. To get a bit of perspective, we send our reporters Hans Liedke and Daphne Henning out to investigate the economic and political reasons for Putin's popularity. Use close at as planet Mundus. Hey Hans, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. You know, I have a couple of questions regarding um, Russian politics and Putin in particular. Sure. How did Putin get a start? When Putin left the KGB in 1991, he worked his way up the political ladder, forging ties, culminating with his appointment as acting prime minister in 1999 and acting president in December of that year when Boris Yeltsin resigned. So he was elected by popular vote. How did his popularity translate into his politics? Well, the next four years saw a period of immense economic growth in Russia. This was due in part to measures like tax reforms enacted by Putin's government. Interesting. But there was a lot of talk that when Putin became president, he came to a laid table. A laid table? 
Yeah, basically, the former government had already been working on implementing economic measures, and industrial development in Russia was increasing at a time when oil prices were rising. Right, so the economy was obviously doing better. What happened then? And in 2004, Putin was re-elected. A lot of legislation was put into place to expand the powers of the authorities. But Putin also managed to do things that earned him some points with his own people. The Russian government continued to prosecute the richest man in Russia at the time, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, for various white-collar crimes dealing with fraud, tax evasion, things like that. The West saw this as a shift to state capitalism. The Russian people saw this as a positive step for the former Soviet country. Right. Well, Putin was last elected president in 2012, and his second term and in 2008. What was he doing in the meantime? When Putin's first deputy prime minister, Dmitry Medvedev, was elected president in 2008, Medvedev appointed Putin as prime minister of Russia. Essentially, Putin never left the forefront of Russian politics, once getting elected in 2000. In fact, in the last days of his second presidency, Putin was reported to have, in his own words, refined the bureaucratic system in the sense that he gave the prime minister a much greater degree of power than previously held before. And about this time, the financial crisis was in full swing. How did Prime Minister Putin and the rest of the government handle that? Initially, Russia's economy was hit incredibly hard with the stalling of Western credit flow and investment and compounded by the conflict with neighboring Georgia at the time. The economy experienced two quarters of record negative growth before picking back up again in January of 2009. Overall, they actually managed to do fairly well, especially compared to some of the other countries hit. Prudent fiscal policies, not to mention the large financial reserves accumulated in the previous year's high oil prices, allowed for Russia's economy to stay afloat and resume growth within a couple of years. Just about time for him to get elected for a third presidential term in 2012. Ah, just about, yeah. In 2011, Medvedev proposed Putin run again, and he did, and he won. There were a lot of protests after this. And since he was re-elected, Putin has intensified his crackdown on dissent both on the media and with opposition or dissenting groups, as we saw with the LGBT community, the pussy riot stuff that's been going on, all of that. Thanks for the fact, Stephanie. Recently, I talked to Anton Tabach about the Russian economy in the past, present and the future. Let's give it a quick listen. Hi, Anton. Can you please briefly introduce yourself? Okay, Anton Tabach, uh, Associate Professor at High School of Economics and Chief Economist at Rus Rating Rating Agency. How did Putin develop the domestic economy? I think the real starting point was 98, just about one year before Putin came uh, to prime ministership. He was running secret services at that time. It was a sharp devaluation of the ruble and default on foreign debts by the Russian government, which basically opened wave, uh, wave for the huge uh, round of inflation, wiping out of debts, cra crash of the banking system, but on the other hand, for import substitution, for new export opportunities and basically elevated uh, oil and gas companies. And at the same time, oil prices started to jump. So basically, Putin came at the sweetest spot uh, possible. Just at the moment, economy started to, uh, to emerge from the crisis. Tax reform had been implemented, really good one. Uh, I think uh, when people talk that Putin did nothing, he did. And I think tax reform was one of the achievements of his government flat tax on personal incomes, relatively low uh, corporate tax, relatively low VAT, a lot of regulation, regulatory changes. So basically, it gave economy very strong kick in. Do you think that Russians in general are satisfied with Putin's economic policy? Until now, Putin wasn't taken responsible. So a lot of people 
uh, decry what government do, but they kind of uh, detach government from president. In reality, of course, presidential administration calling all shots. Uh, I think uh, the kind of uh, understanding will come, will come fast and will come very brutally. But we didn't reach that point yet. And another big problem is that opposition uh, doesn't offer uh, anything tangible. And quite a few people with a government or business background of sufficient caliber. It's a problem. Uh, patriotic euphoria uh, helps to alleviate some of the pains. So that's why uh, uh, popularity. I think uh, already there are signs of decline in this popularity, but I think it will be the decline will be stretched out. 지금 여러분은 Planet Mundus를 듣고 계십니다. Hans Liedke and Daphne Henning contributed that report. So we just heard that Putin's popularity was built on an economic upswing in, during his first presidency. But since the Ukraine crisis, the ruble has dropped dramatically and the whole ec- economy is in crisis. And I know that the, the, the fall of the rubles is, is impacting you personally, Barbara, right? Um I would say both of us, uh, yeah. Um, well, for example, in terms of my studies here, now I have to pay twice as much for my coffee as I used to pay when I came here in September uh, because of the drastic changes in the currency exchange rate. Uh, and all the transfers, like money transfers, all the transactions, they're like twice as much. And it was even more than twice. But now it a bit steps it it stabilized a bit, but still it's like a huge change. So you suddenly have half the half the money you used to have. Yeah, half the money I used to have, and and I have to prioritize like very seriously my expenses. Mm. What about that's of course because you're studying abroad that it, it really affects you. But but what about ordinary Russians just living in Russia? Yeah, Russian economy is really dependent um, in these terms uh, because uh, we have lots of import from the Western countries, for example. So the cars, they're kind of like much more expensive now than they used to be in September before this crisis. And during the Christmas time, we had the huge movement in the shops when people started to buy just everything because they had some savings in rubles. And now it's kind of useless. It's like twice less. That's why people started to buy more and more um Yeah, just to get off of get off rubbles, yeah. And it also has to do not only with like um, electronic equipment or cars or big stuff. It also has to do with um, everyday goods you buy in the shop, with products, with food. So is it hard for your for your for your family? You just mentioned your mother. I wouldn't say they're starving, but it's very scary. It's emotionally scary, because you never know what will happen next. And with this like currency exchange rate, they were waking up every day, like ready to face anything, almost anything, like a huge surprise, but a bad surprise. But you, you've, I know you, I know this is not a, it's not an entirely new situation for for Russian families to be in this this un- economic uncertainty, right? Yeah, I think that my family, for example, faced it like. 20 years ago with this uh, devaluation of rubble when uh, the Soviet Union fell down. Uh, and of course, it was a terrible situation, but now people kind of trained and uh, with this experience, they try to carry on. So now they can see like the brightest future, you know, like once we had it, so probably like we have it now, but it's going to be better in the nearest future. So that could be another point of supporting Putin. 
like there's an there's an optim optimism because people have been through yeah, this I before they know that I think uh, Russian people are really kind of optimistic towards economical problem. I wouldn't say it's very optimistic, but I would say that my family has pretty much the same story. And I would also say that it's almost everyone's story in Russia, because 20 years ago, 24 years ago when I was born, um, after the Soviet Union collapse, I know that my grandparents used to have a very big um, uh, sum of money they would they would be able to buy a car with. But next morning they woke up having nothing left and they managed to uh, to carry on. And I know that not everyone managed to do this. And um, now they are living with the thought that um, after, the peri uh, after the Yeltsin times and all, after all these like, years, 19, 90s, they are living with the thought that it is good to have Putin then no one who is able to like give some some idea or some some very strong illusion of st like things stabilizing around you so that's probably the reason they vote for putin there was a lot of economic turbulence during all the 90s right do, do you remember that personally when you were kids um i was told a story by my mom that once we were in store we weren't she wasn't able to buy me a bubble gum when i was asking for it i was standing and asking like mommy are we able to buy a bubble gum for me or aren't we and she was like what am i doing with my life i have to like get another job and she started to she 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 quit the university because she also was a teacher and she quit the university and and she found some other found some other job and actually some other job because she had three jobs at that time to be able to support me three jobs yeah and i was also very lucky because my grandmothers know how to work with the sewing machine and i remember that every clothes i had once i was a, like a very little girl or even a school girl uh, was made by my grandmother how would you, uh, the situation Russia is in now, how would, do you think, is people going through the same things now that you were back then when you, when you were kids? It's not that radical now. So I'm also wondering, since you both studied in St. Petersburg, which is a fairly liberal city in Russia, the students there, were there any kind of pro-democracy movements going on? And what's the, what's the feel like among young people in St. Petersburg? Um, yeah, I think I have this experience personally because um, over the period of elections to our uh, Duma and uh, presidential elections two years ago, we had, I won't say them, I won't characterize them like huge demonstrations, but some movements in the street, in the central part of St. Petersburg were, were mostly like young people, um, students. Um, yeah, but we were not mentioned, you know, like we were covered by the police, like circled <laughs> there and basically that's all and uh, I know that the same movement were in Moscow as well um, yeah but it changed nothing you mean the Balotnes? yeah but you're saying you were not mentioned yes uh, not me we were not covered for example um, I was in one demonstration in St. Petersburg during the presidential elections and um, I called to my mom like uh, do you watch the news like is there something because we have like uh, many many people in the city center of St. Petersburg like the big one of the biggest cities in Russia yeah and she told me oh no like there is no coverage so the rest of uh, Russian population like they didn't know about it 
I guess we should look a bit more into the Russian media landscape to get a better sense of how this system works. So, we send our correspondent Kim Schönrock to find out. She spoke to Yuri Shalin, who works for a Russian publishing house, Kamila Nikmatolina, who is a professor of journalism in St. Petersburg, and to the Danish foreign correspondent covering Russia, Matilda Kima. Let's hear what they have to say. Andersedang Mendengar, Planet Mundus. When I ask you about freedom of speech in Russia, what would be the first thing that comes to your mind? Mm, no such a thing anymore. That is Yuri Zhalin, a 30-year-old journalist working for the online section of one of Russia's oldest publishing houses called Kommersant. He explains that Kommersant used to be completely liberal and free in the 90s, but now a new era has arrived. Because Kommersant is a big publishing house with a loud voice, it attracts the government's attention. If you want to talk on the topics you want to talk, not uh, those topics uh, the government wants you to talk to. You have to figure out some things uh, like in some smart way, so to say. You have to, to be good for everyone, you know, for the, audi- for the audience and for government. Nevertheless, Kommersant remains fairly critical, Yuri tells me. At least it has not become as propagandistic as the Russian TV channels. According to Yuri, basically all national TV channels report in a pro-Kremlin way today. There is only one independent channel left. It's called TV Dost and works only on cable or online. And not everybody has access to that. So I wondered... Would you say that Putin is purposeful using the media to enhance his popularity? Um, yeah, actually all his popularity is based just on that. It's actually based just on the absence of any discussion about the interior politics in Russia, for example, or even foreign politics, nothing. So if there is no, if there is no discussion, for sure, in, actually it can happen with any society. Yeah? If you block all the other opinions and will leave just one, actually even Danish society will love just the current prime minister till the, the she die. 88% of the Russians support Putin, and Yuri adds that they also support what they see in the media. They consume it, and they are satisfied with it. There is no such a thing in like a critical mind now. Kamila Nikmantulina, an associate professor of journalism at the St. Petersburg State University, agrees on that. People are not politically active, and sometimes they lack a background, educational or background of uh, political participation to judge uh, political actions of the president. Putin is portrayed as a hero in Russian media. But using the media to build such a positive image is not the problem, she says. Every political leader would tend to do that, and that's okay. Her main problems are unprofessional journalists and over-credulous people. First, we start with a journalist who can't check their facts, then audience who believe these unchecked facts. And as a result, we have this situation when nobody cares how this political image is built, how this media agenda was set. So I I would start with educating journalists and educating audience. Okay, but still, I wanted to know more about the Russian media landscape, its structure and how Putin manages to manipulate this area to his advantage. Camilla explains that there are only two types of media in Russia, state-owned and private media companies. She tells me that most of the media is actually privately owned, which surprised me a bit. How can Putin control these? Our president has friends, uh, and these friends are really powerful people who are 
owners of big companies. Mainly these are oil, gas, banking and financial companies. Well, these uh, friends, they own certain media and through this connection, they can be influenced by the president himself. But the thing is really tricky because you, you can't uh, prove this. So it's like everybody knows, but nobody can prove this fact. And there's more. A special structure within the Ministry of Mass Communication monitors Russian media and imposes restrictions or shuts them down if the coverage does not comply with Russian law. Not surprisingly, critical journalists flee the country and work from the outside. To learn a bit more about the working conditions for journalists in Russia, I called Matilde Kima. She's a Danish foreign correspondent covering Russia and Ukraine. I'd say it's much easier to be an international journalist because being Russian and working in the media, you basically have to make a decision pretty soon in your career, whether you want a career or not, because you, you need to decide whether you want to work for the loyal media who posts very limited criticism about the state or you want to be more or less opposition-oriented and you want to do not much but critical and then therefore making fairly limited amount of money and being in a rather risky business. The term propaganda pops to my mind when I hear all this talk about state media, loyal media. So I ask her directly, can we call Russian media propaganda? Well, I asked Kiselyov, who's uh, probably the most influential journalist in an anchor in Russia, if he calls it uh, propaganda, what he does. And he says all information is propaganda because propaganda is defined by the fact that your information has a goal. And I mean, in that aspect, yes, of course, it's propaganda. Uh, would Western media also tend to be propagandistic? Yes, I would say that a lot of it is. For Matilda, the main problem is that in Russia, stories are often presented as one-sided only, with no interest whatsoever to look at the case from another side. But why then, despite all this, I wonder, would the Russian people still love Putin? Yuri, the journalist from the Russian publisher Kommersant, explains. Russia still loves Putin because it actually wants to love Putin and because Russian media is making them to love Putin. They loved him all those 15 years, but they never loved him that, that much as now. The Russian media made people think that there is no alternative to Putin at all. Kim Schönrock for Planet Mundus. Du lytter til Planet Mundus. That was Kim Schönrock. So, Russian television is totally controlled by the state. What options do Russians have if they want to uh, get good unbiased reporting? Well, we do have some alternative media, like oppositional-oriented, um, and now we have a pretty easy access to them. Like, everybody has an internet. It's not that hard. If you if you want something alternative, you can just log in and, and search there. And we also have uh, one, I would say, really good um, radio station called Echo Moskvi, like Echo of Moscow. Uh, and it's pretty critical towards our state and it's really really it, it has really big um, audience in Russia so I cannot say that it's like that big you just have to if you're a journalist you have to find the right path to public your material if it's critical towards the government and if you're part of the audience you have to know how to reach the materials you want to read so there is a lot of self-censorship and a lot of uh, government control of what comes out in a 
in Russian media, but I know you're also very critical of the way the Western, more free media portrays Russia. Um, in Denmark, this uh, Boris Nemtsov, who recently got shot in uh, near Kremlin, was portrayed as a main political rival um, of Putin, and it has been hinted at that that Putin basically ma- made him like made him disappear. And I know you're skeptical of that. Well, I want to 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 I don't want to be very strong by saying that Nimtsov was dead as a politician long time ago. All this thing happened because. I know him from from my childhood. He was already always there, and he had a very controversial party, which was called Napple, Yablaka. And um, I'm not re- really into politics, but I wouldn't. I I would say that it would be very stupid for Putin, like somehow to organize the murder of Nemtsov. And there is a very uh, a very good uh, opinion. Um, I read a very good opinion article on 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 the Nemtsov's murder, saying that it was partially the Putin's brain, b- blame uh, because of this all this very heavy and strong propaganda machine launched by the government on the national TV channels and national media channels uh, that somehow launched all this sense of um, anger and uh, hatred towards the opposition and towards an alternative opinions. Do you have a perspective on that as well? Yeah, I would partially agree on that because uh, the way uh, Western media present Boris Nemtsov is a bit um, strange for me. I was really surprised on that because uh, in Russia, there, it, in my opinion, there is no like strong opposition and Boris Nemtsov, Nemtsov had never participated in any elections. You know, um, I could not say he was really charismatic person and he uh, he had, if I'm not mistaken, he had his own blog and uh, he was kind of uh, influential uh, in Moscow, for example, maybe in St. Petersburg. But still to say that he was the leader of Russian opposition would be too exaggerate, exaggerated. I would also add that um, it is too soon to judge. And, uh, well, I spent some time uh, browsing through all these blogs and opinions, and it's too soon to judge because there are various opinions on the murder, and you can never predict which one of them was right. So I'm curious to round it up about what you think will will happen in the future. Since you've created a system, Putin has managed to create a system where there are no alternatives to him. So how how is, how is Russia going to de- develop in the next 10 years? Um, I would say that there would be definitely some sort of a backup backup plan by the government, especially by Putin. But again, I I wouldn't be able to predict it. But do you think we are, we, are Russia moving towards more democracy or more autocracy? Or? Um, I personally would like Russia to be tra- to be like to to be put on this uh, way of uh, transition into more democratic country. But I'm not sure. If you are from Russia, you are never sure about the things which are going to happen there. And I would say that probably one of the things that could help us with that transition is actually if people in Russia start to uh, present their own opinion like more openly and maybe go in the streets sometimes uh, where they disagree with the, the path that our governments chose. So I think that if Russian people within Russia would consolidate and just present their ideas to the improve, for the improvement, then it's going to lead us to more democratic future. Okay. 
Jan and Laura, thank you so much for coming today and helping us shed some light into the mystery for for us that is Russia. Thank you for having us. Thank you. As media history has shown us, every show needs a semi-alcoholic funny man to lift the spirits. We at Planet Mondas have our own Jan Willems. Jan, the stage is yours. Esto es Planet Mundus. Psst. Planet Mundusians, can you hear me? Because if you do hear this, I am most probably already dead. Okay, I don't know how much time I have left before before they find me, but I think I'm safe here for the moment, so I'm gonna cut right to the chase. For the past two weeks, I've been chasing a story. A story so incredibly big that it will make your brain melt. A story reaching so far in the upper echelons of power that now I believe I'm on the death lists of both the American and the Russian secret services. For some time now, I've been getting calls, but no one answers when I pick up. There's just clicking noises. Late at night, there's there's people following me and, and I see silhouettes behind the windows across the street. I don't know how much longer I'll be able to shake them off, so I'm gonna lay down my findings right now. As always, Planet Mundus exclusive. Vladimir Putin, the president of the Russian Federation, is secretly none other than presumed dead American hip-hop icon Tupac Shakur. I know, I know. How could we have been so blind all this time? It's so obvious. Let me give you a quick background in case you don't know Tupac Shakur yet. Tupac was an African-American rapper who made it to fame in the early 90s. In the September of 1996, he was allegedly shot to death. But the circumstances were shady and the crime was never resolved. That's why many of his disciples believe that Tupac just went into hiding and is actually to this day alive and well. And boy, have they been right. I mean, just consider all the similarities. First of all, the rap game is notoriously homophobic. In songs like Homeboys or All Out, Tupac and his posse even use harsh swear words for homosexuals. A mindset that goes hand in hand with the increasing homophobia in Russia under Putin. Just remember the discrimination of gay athletes and human rights activists during the Sochi Winter Olympics. Or take a look at the intense territoriality both men display. Tupac was a leader in the turf war between the U.S. East Coast and West Coast. Today, under the guise of Putin, he's still set on the war East against West. With his ongoing involvement in the Ukraine conflict, Putin proves to be representing and bigging up his home base. And don't dare to cross Vladimir Putin. Just remember all the unsolved deaths of Russian oppositionists. Anna Politkovskaya, Alexander Litvinenko, and most recently Boris Nemtsov. Is this just the tip of the iceberg? And who does that remind us of? All right. Tupac Shakur and a safe portrayal as a merciless gunslinger. And then there is the latest in a long row of uncanny similarities between legendary rapper Tupac and Vladimir Putin. As if to tease us by giving hints about his former life, Vladimir Putin recently vanished from the face of Earth. And then, days later, he just reappears from the dead. Much like Jesus. Now listen to this. Expect me like you expect Jesus to come back. Expect me, I'm coming. <laughs> this was from Tupac's song, Unchained. Coincidence? <laughs> sure. I could go on. Their love of posing bare-chested for photos, their mutual hate of the US government, or their passionate affection for firearms? 
But those are just cherries. Cherries on top of the big conspiracy cake that both the American and the Russian secret services try to force down our necks. It just makes so much sense. Tupac was too strong and charismatic, a true internal critic of the American social structures. After some seven post-Cold War years of peace, both sides profited from renewed hostility. The conflict perfectly distracts from the inherent rottenness of both the American and the Russian system. At this point, anyone not believing that African-American West Coast rap icon Tupac Shakur underwent surgery to be reborn as the Russian ice cube Vladimir Putin is making a fool of himself. Open your goddamn eyes! Oh god, they're here. This Jan Willems with what was possibly my last ever Planet Moonis exclusive. Dear listeners, pray for me. Mom, I love you. Smith and Wessons count my blessings. Classes and sessions. The worst question is the first question. Why do we work like slaves sweating blades? أنتم تستمعون إلى Planet Mundus. Thank you, Jan Willems, and thank you again to Barbara and Jana for joining us today and helping us understand why Russia loves Putin so much. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Go to planetmundus.com and our Facebook page to comment away. Here you can also hear all of our other episodes and read the blog by John Angel. All Planet Mundus shows are available in the iTunes Store and through your favorite podcast app. My name is Ole Korsgaard, and I've had a bunch of help in bringing this episode to you. Today's technical producer was Nehal El-Sharif, and the show was produced by Freya Eriksson. From Planet Mundus, we wish you a great day. Mundus.